0: Welcome, I'm Uri.
1: And I'm Rifki, and you're listening to Talking Talkless, the podcast where we talk about Jewish life and life in general.
0: So Rifki, we spoke many weeks ago about the Impossible Burger, which is this all-vegetable-based burger, but somehow tastes like real meat because of genetically modified right. soy they use that or something protein
1: that basically like it, it changes the texture right. to make it a more meaty texture.
0: So I've been wanting to try one for mm-hmm. a long time. I've actually tried and gone to restaurants that advertise that they mm-hmm. sell it and then when I went in they said they didn't have it.
1: That's actually funny. I was at a restaurant last week that's advertised the Impossible Burger and my friend wanted to order it and they said, "No, we don't have it." Yeah, so I don't I know if that's cuz they're all selling exactly. out yeah, or yeah. what.
0: <laughs> but today I finally had one. Okay, so what do you think? What's the verdict? Honestly, my verdict is that it was good, good, <laughs> not great. It was no, it was meaning for. I'm not a huge foodie. Okay, so uh-huh. for me, it tasted really good, but it didn't really taste like meat.
1: What about the texture? Was the texture like meat?
0: So I was really trying to think about it as I ate it, and I was comparing it to, I guess, like veggie burgers that right. I've had. Um, I would say there is something different to compared to other veggie burger experiences mm-hmm. that I've had, but it definitely did not even look really like real meat it didn't it did not have that texture i could sort of see and maybe this just because i knew i was supposed to see it but it sort of had like a little bit of that meat type Uh feel and look
1: did it have that like bleeding you know how burgers like there's like the juiciness yeah, it, no
0: it didn't uh-huh. uh, did you have it
1: at a meat restaurant or a dairy restaurant it was a
0: meat restaurant see
1: that's the disappointing thing <laughs> i want to have it at a dairy restaurant because the point is that i want to be able to have it, cheese with on cheese. it. exactly like uh, that i think there appeal. are dairy
0: restaurants that have so them I, I just i've, I've seen, seen yeah exactly uh-huh. i've
1: seen it at a few but again haven't actually been able to order one so yeah. um, listen
0: i think it's still a step forward in the kosher food world right? i guess um you know it, it, it might deserve a, a you know a no- Notation on the timeline of innovations of <laughs> in kosher food over okay. the decades and we'll centuries. We'll
1: tell Tablet next time they make one of these. Yeah. Uh,
0: <laughs> but I, I guess the next step is going to be either an improved version of this or some other form of, you know, lab produced meat right. of some kind. But I don't know. I'm excited to see what's next. All right.
1: I'm really curious to taste one with cheese and see if like that makes mm-hmm. it worth it over a regular burger. But uh, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. I would say
0: bottom line, it tastes good. And for me, that's enough but i don't know if All it's right. really as monumental <laughs> as the name impossible burger right, right, would right. suggest well good god almighty which way do i steer from off cheeseburger in paradise making the best of
1: every virtue and every damn sacrifice to get cheeseburger so on a little bit of a more somber note Last week, the Ramaz Academy released a special independent report that describes sexual abuse of students at the school by several former employees. And I guess we should say now that if any parents are listening with their children, obviously parental discretion, but there will be maybe some frank talk about sexual abuse at the hands of adults. So this report described a bunch of allegations of sexual misconduct and some more sort of concrete things by several teachers. The report was made by a law firm, and I don't actually know how to pronounce it, so I'm not even going to bother, but we'll, of course, have the report listed in our description for the episode. And the report was the end of a pretty long investigation commissioned by Ramaz eight months ago when allegations came out of SAR, another New York modern orthodox school, about a teacher who had been at Ramaz before switching to SAR. So here's a quick summary of the report. The investigation is split into several sections. First, it covers Stanley Rosenfeld, who was the employee who prompted the investigation. He had been a teacher and the director of the primary school for two years in the early 70s. And then there were a few other teachers. There was Richard Andron, who was an after-school karate teacher, um, who the report says seems to have sexually abused multiple Ramaz students during his time there. There was Albert Goetz, who was a math teacher and a guidance counselor, who admitted to having romantic and physical relationships with two female students and who had photographed the feet of at least 17 female students. The report then goes into a few other inappropriate things that they have less clear evidence about, and it concludes with sort of next steps for the school. And then within each of the employees, the sections are further broken down into allegations, who knew what at the time, and what was done about it. For example, what the math teacher gets, the investigation found that he tried to photograph the feet of students in the early 90s and one student refused. She told her parents who then reported the information to Rabbi Haskell Lukstein who is the longtime principal of Ramaz who has retired in the last few years. He reportedly responded that it wasn't the first complaint that he had heard about Getz. Rabbi Lukstein then reportedly had Getz undergo a psychiatric evaluation and the psychiatrist determined that he could continue as a teacher and he did. Rabbi Lukstein reportedly received more complaints over the years and he told the parents and students who complained that the issues had already been addressed and resolved. Ramaz actually didn't terminate Mr. Getz as a teacher until 2005, when it was announced that Getz was going to be honored at the Ramaz annual dinner. And then the allegations really came out in protest, and just people wouldn't, wouldn't stand for it anymore. So Uri, I don't even know where to begin. There's there's a lot of good here, right? I want to acknowledge that Ramaz seems to have done a full and independent investigation, and they publicly urged people to speak with the investigators before it started, and they also released their findings publicly. On the other hand. There are a lot of institutions that are named here, right? We have SAR, we have Westchester Day School, and we don't know so much about them and what they've done to address things. But it really scares me, right? There's something about seeing something like this in our own backyard, so to speak. Um, I didn't go to Ramaz, but I have a bunch of friends who did. And I actually spoke to a bunch of people over the past few days since this report came out, specifically about Mr. Getz, who is the teacher who was still around when I was in high school. And this whole photographing students' feet, this was actually, I mean, I didn't know about it. This was an open secret when mm-hmm. we were in school. Wow. Um, and we still don't know so much about Ramaz, what Ramaz plans on doing, right? No one was fired. Ray Luxtein, who is no longer at the school officially, um, he hasn't released any sort of public statement or any sort of apology. The Forward, which wrote a pretty big article about this story, uh, tried to interview him and he basically said, like, you know, it's all in the report. Mm-hmm. You should see everything there. Um, so he hasn't really said anything, any apology. I don't know. I'm wondering sort of like, does that bother us? But I'm a little surprised. I don't. Tell me what you think, but I haven't really seen this so much. I saw it on the forward. JTA uh, also did sort of a pretty similar piece of the forward. It kind of feels like they almost copied them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I read the report itself, but I haven't really seen this. I haven't really seen it on social media. Have you been seeing much about this? Um, I have not. And it's
0: interesting to your point. um, Just this morning, I bumped into a friend that I hadn't seen in a long time. And he told me that he started listening to the podcast, which was really cool. Mm -hmm. And he asked me what we're talking about this week. And I told him about this story. And he's somebody who is very on top of the news on top of Jewish news. And I when I mentioned this story, he he volunteered and said, Yeah, I saw that. And I'm really surprised that it isn't a bigger deal or that more people aren't talking about it. Honestly, I, I think it might be that as terrible as the story is, people are a little bit tired or they've just heard so many stories like this. And these we're talking about abuse that for the most part happened 30, 40 plus years ago. And so I guess people kind of think that this is not super relevant to right now, or at least as far as what they're going to be posting about and writing about. There are other more pressing issues, Mm -hmm. maybe. Um, I don't think that means people don't, Appreciate the severity of it, but that's just kind of how what I think about that. And as far as the, right. this hasn't. And again, this just broke last week, so it could be that it'll take some time to. I don't to know. Really build I think up, I really, know.
1: like, if it doesn't become a big story in the first twenty-four hours, it feels like it's really dropped. Uh huh. Um, but I also the the friends I spoke to who had gone to Ramaz, a bunch of them had gotten the email. They there was an email that provided the link to the report and kind of went through what happened, and that's how they knew about it. But friends who I spoke to who didn't go to Ramaz. And sort of, you know, I said, "Oh my God, did you hear what happened?" And I don't think any of them had
0: had heard about it. Yeah. Uh-huh.
1: So I don't know. It's pretty sh- kind of upsetting to me. And I hear what you're saying that maybe we're jaded in a certain way, but this feels like a huge. Sto- I-, I went to Frisch, and I'm trying to imagine if one of my teachers had, you know, been exposed like this, or even a teacher from before my time. I, I am. I feel like it would be crazy to me.
0: Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's first of all, the story is just obviously very sad. And in reading the report and the article, what was most disturbing to me, which I think probably to a lot of people, was that the main abuser that is discussed in the in the report, after he left Ramaz, he went to another school and then another school, and then after he left education, he went to a different, he went to Rhode Island, but he was still like teaching bar mitzvah lessons and he was still working with kids and and still abusing kids. And apparently there are people who were abused by him later in his career who were like permanently traumatized. And it's like so horrifying that so many people knew in one form or another. And this person was still allowed to work with children. Um, That to me was the most disturbing. There were some things that I was thinking about aside from just the obvious of like how terrible this is and that Mm -hmm. it is, you know, there is credit to be given to Ramaz for being so thorough about this it is you know you can ask why is this coming out now we're talking about things that happened in the you know as far back as the early 70s um, and now is when they are you know breaking the story a lot of these types of stories started breaking you know as early as maybe the 90s um, and then the 2000s and and stuff like that so by now it's already like pretty late in the game as far as exposing, these type of abuses. I was also wondering, like the, the, the idea of hiring a big law firm to do these investigations, I guess I understand why, those, why they would do it in the most thorough way. But these things can be insanely expensive. And I was just wondering, you know, obviously things don't work this way. But if that money could have been used for more productive purposes, such as training current staff on what to look out for, or, training, or you know, training students on things to look out for and things like that. Right. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I tried to look, and I couldn't find exactly how much this report um, I imagine cost. this
1: was done pro bono. Uh,
0: no, no way. I, I know that YU had a similar um, report um, that was done, investigation that was done uh, just a few years ago on their own abuses in, in their high school and, and stuff, and um, that was reportedly in the millions of dollars. It's mm-hmm. 2.5 million dollars. Um, if you hire a, a prestigious law firm for eight months to do 40 plus interviews and write a report, you're talking at least in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, I would just guess, um, which is a, a significant amount of money for a, for a school when we talk about like tuition crisis and, and right. things like that. That's just like kind of a side point, yeah, but, but I think it's I don't important to mention. No, I think, think part of
1: sort of repairing the damage that was done by these teachers, by the school, you could, you know, maybe the school knew about it, maybe they didn't, maybe. Teachers or administrators knew about it, maybe they didn't, but I understand why they would say at this point it's late in the game, but we want to put our energies part of our energies into trying to figure out exactly what happened Right but I wonder know, if there's a, part of I wonder the if future. there's a
0: slightly more cost effective way of doing that type of investigation as a where you don't hire a, you know a major law firm to do it because I'm just I'm just putting that out there. It's just something that I, that I wonder about. Yeah. But again, it's, it's not these type of things don't work that way, that they have this money. And if, not, if it doesn't go to this, it's going to go to, you know, back into the education or something right. like that.
1: I actually think that's a very natural transition into something I've been thinking about, Uri. One of the pieces of the report was the last piece. It was the conclusion. They talk about what Ramaz has done today to change their policies, to try to ensure that something like this never happens again. And there are a few things. The report talks about a new zero-tolerance policy for any inappropriate behavior between employees and students. It's kind of crazy to think that that already didn't exist. Right,
0: but what does that mean, zero-tolerance? Like, if if one thing happens, the person gets fired? Yeah, I
1: imagine something like the way that Mr. Getz, you know, instead of going to bring him to a psychiatrist who's going to decide whether he's allowed to keep teaching or not, they say, you did something inappropriate, you're out. And, and that's it.
0: But Okay, I, I'm just curious where, where where they draw the line. It's easy to say there's a zero tolerance policy, but it's a lot more complicated to say where do they draw the line of what's how bad the action right. was and then what the result yeah, of it is. Yeah, that's true. I mean, Maybe it just means say... that nothing is going to go unpunished or unaddressed. Right. I, I mean, it says it. in
1: the report that they acted swiftly and decisively this past winter to remove a then-current teacher in the face of a credible allegation of misconduct. Right. So I don't know what that means.
0: Well, somebody was fired for inappropriate right. behavior.
1: It's a, a friend of mine who went to Ramaz. I was talking to him this morning, and he actually told me that, I think it was his sister's class. I don't remember exactly. Um, there was a student who was like, seen at concerts with like a teacher. They like went on dates together in Uh public and it was just like How old was the student? I don't know. I guess it doesn't matter. High school? 16, 17 maybe? But I just think it's interesting that there seems to be a culture, and I wonder if this is still true today, but there's a culture of students knowing things and talking to each other about things and maybe warning each other about things, and there not being a conversation with adults. Like, for mm-hmm. example, the whole idea about Mr. Getz and him photographing students' feet and kind of having relationships with these girls. And my friends who were in my grade were like, yeah, everyone kind of knew Mr. Getz was a creep. Don't be alone with Mr. Getz. He's got a weird feet thing. Mm-hmm. And I asked a friend of mine, you know, oh, have you ever spoken to your parents about it? Did the school know about it? And it wasn't even, it wasn't. It's like, no, of course not. Like you, you, you wouldn't go to adults and say things like that. This was like a, a very strong, dividing right. line between what you talk to adults about and what everyone kind of talks to each other about.
0: Right. That's interesting. I mean, I guess that is a big change in the way we think about these things. But I think in other abuse cases that you know we're probably both familiar with, I think parents and adults did know. And there was still that type right. of approach of like, okay, that's this person's like a little bit weird. We're just maybe we will personally try to steer clear right. and be careful. But they didn't think like we should go to the police right. or exactly. we should, this person. Right, should be and that's I think one of the most the community. telling
1: things about this entire report is that nobody went to the police. No one went to the police. The uni- right. I keep thinking university, but sadly it's a high school and a middle school and a lower school. No one in the administration went to the police. No parents went to the police. People no students went that to the way. police.
0: I thought it was really interesting how, this, how you mentioned how um, Rabbi Lukstein had this teacher have a psychiatric evaluation, uh-huh. which sounds like that is the responsible thing to do. And the psychiatrist said he's okay to teach. Yeah. So why go to the police once the prof- the mental right. health professional says he's yeah, okay? it's crazy. Um, it's yeah. really
1: crazy. Speaking of also the change in culture, Uri, one of the things that struck me about the report, and I, I, I imagine also struck you, is that one of the things they talk about is that Rosenfeld, who is the main person that this report was... You know instigated because of he used to use sleepovers with students having sleep having students over at his house or sleeping over at students' house as an opportunity to abuse them to touch them while they were sleeping. It was really, really. Um, upsetting stuff to read and this idea of a teacher having sleepovers with students and when I say students I don't mean even like high school kids or a Shabbaton right. or he was hosting them for NCSY he was the director for the primary school for first through third grade
0: yeah I, th- yeah, I was also struck by that I think one of the other um, the, the karate teacher that the report talks about also had some kind of sleepover with the students I, I guess maybe that used to be normal but I, I also saw that one of the one of the quote unquote sleepovers was actually the rosenfeld was staying for shabbos at a family for like a bar mitzvah or something and then there happened to have been kids in the house that he knew or whatever and then you know went into the room at night and horrible things but that that wasn't exactly like oh come to my house for a sleepover he happened to be in the house but it sounds like there were yeah i don't know that's definitely something that may have been more normal then that now for sure would not be okay but it also made me think um Sometimes these, it's hard to draw the line with these things. Like, I, I think there is room and it's important for teachers to have some kind of relationship with students outside of the classroom where right. it's more than just a strictly educator student thing. Because that's how kids learn and grow and, and learn how to interact with people and learn about the world. You know, there, I guess it's important to be so aware. And, and for sure, when it comes to these matters, I think you have to be over careful. Like, you have to err on the side of caution for right. sure.
1: Do you remember when you were a kid? Were you ever told about this, or were you ever sort of warned, like if adults start touching you in your private areas, like anything like that? Like, because I, I think that's a conversation that parents really have with their kids nowadays, and I yeah. don't remember ever Not, hearing stuff yeah, like that. Yeah,
0: I don't really either. I don't think um, these you you read a lot in these kinds of type of things where um, memories can be very faulty. And sometimes Definitely. sometimes people remember things that didn't happen. And a lot of times kids, things hap- happened and they're somehow blocked out of the right. memory.
1: When you were a kid, did you ever have like sleepovers with teachers? No. Because <laughs> I actually remember in third grade, um, and again, you're right, that memories can be faulty. The truth is this might have been, you know, we went for you know, one night for a pizza party and I remember it being a Shabbos, but I remember a bunch of students going to my teacher's house for a Shabbos, which in retrospect, I think she lived in the Heights Mm because I remember like taking a bus and going to an apartment. Like I have this Well, right. I guess when you
0: say it that way, right. That does seem like, that sounds like something that would happen.
1: But one of the things I think that makes it distinct, and I wonder why I think it makes it distinct, is that it was a female teacher. Right. Which I think is sort of an interesting conversation in the way that we think about our comfort with men and women who are close with children.
0: Right. I, I wanted to bring that up, actually, mm-hmm. because it was something that I was thinking about when I was reading this, all this stuff. Um, you know, especially in light of the feminist movement, where in the reverse, where you ha- obviously we're dealing with kids and abuse, it's its own thing, and I don't mean to equate it with anything else. But there are certain fields that are dominated by men where there is a very strong push uh, to... To bring women into that field. Okay. So, education in general, spe- the younger you go, I think, the more dominated it is by women. Um, I've actually done a lot of video work with um, like nursery school type uh-huh. things or like very young children. And I've just been struck by how overwhelmingly female these places are. We're literally talking about a situation where it's strange to see a man there. And there's usually these institutions, even the bigger ones will have a handful at most of men just employed in any capacity. And I always found that interesting. Like, is it that women are just naturally more adept at taking care of young children? Is it that women choose to go into these professions? Is it that the institutions
1: are right. hesitant
0: to hire men or some i guess probably some combination of those right. things
1: yeah i mean it's hard to say what if it what's natural and what's sort of learned but i do think it's probably true and i think for me there is a little bit of a back of my head like you Expect men to be comfortable with kids, but if men are like gushing over kids, there there's something that, and maybe this is just in the past few years from reading about, sadly, a lot of these cases, mm-hmm. it makes you a little bit more suspicious where I don't think, at least for me, I don't really have that same thing with women.
0: Right. Well, listen, obviously, anecdotally, right. in all of our experiences, the overwhelming majority of the abusers that we've heard about are men. Right. Just a fact.
1: And that's abusers of very little kids, and that's abusers of teenagers Across and the all of those things. Yeah, yeah. Um, Abusers of boys and abusers of girls.
0: Pretty much, yeah. Mm. It's, it's, I mean, we spoke about an abuse case where the alleged perpetrator was a woman, and part of the story itself was that fact because right. it's, it's somewhat rare.
1: Right. There was one thing, Uri, that I've been thinking about that I wanted to bring up specifically. Um, you mentioned that... One of the stories that was told about Rosenfeld was that he molested a student in a private home when Mm -hmm. he was visiting for Shabbos. Mm -hmm. And actually what's interesting about that story and what I think makes this one of the more difficult stories in this report is that the abuse was then reported by the child to parents. And then those parents then told the investigators who were doing this report that they met with Rabbi Luxtein. And when they met with Rabbi Luxtein, they told him what happened and they urged him to keep Rosenfeld away from children. And that I just want to note. They didn't go to the police and they didn't say, if you do not keep him away from Jeff, if you do not fire him, we are going to do X, Y, Z. They urged him. Mm -hmm. It's like we have so much trust in the authority figure. It's just kind of interesting to me.
0: I'm sure that parent would be very vigilant to not let their own children or people they know go near this person. But like to actually go to the police, I mean, I think it's it is a hassle and it is putting your making yourself somewhat vulnerable. Um, unfortunately, I'm, yeah, I'm sure it's gotten a lot today, better today.
1: Right in 2018, I think now we quote unquote know better. Like I would imagine that if the same thing happened today, these parents would not hesitate to go to the police. Of course,
0: no, of course. And I, so but, one,
1: but, but one of the things that I think is particularly interesting about this and maybe sad also is that when this firm, the investigators interviewed um, Rabbi Luxstein, he said that he really didn't remember this story, and that happened a few times. He basically said like. No, I don't remember Ramah's students or Rama's parents ever reporting to me about this abuse. Right. I don't know. I mean there's something really difficult about that.
0: Yeah. I'm not sure what to make of that. It could be that he's saying he doesn't remember because he's sort of just trying to cover it up and make it go away or wait for it to go away. Or maybe he genuinely doesn't remember because it was it didn't feel so significant at the time, which is bad in its in its own way potentially. Right. I think it's important. I'm not excusing um, people like Rabbi Lukstein, who were in positions of authority, who let these things go. But you have to take it in context, meaning this is the standard th- story that we hear, where the people who found out about it, we're talking 20, 30, 40 years ago, people found out about it, and at most, they would send the teacher to like a, an evaluation, which I yeah. think is already more than happened in most cases, they would transfer the person to a different school, which is horrible because like this is a person who they could get another job. You know, they could be an accountant. They can go to law school. They don't need to be teaching children. And somebody who was demonstrated that type of abuse should not be anywhere near children, obviously. But people just didn't think of it that way. But I I, I
1: think you're right. And I think this, this story is not about Rabbi Lookstein. This story is about all of the educators and all of the administrators and all of the institutions that found out either while it was happening or later and did nothing. It is crazy how many institutions knew about this, right. either while it was happening or later and continued to not share that information. And the chain made it worse and worse. And he was able to bounce from institution to institution. And this again, this is not blaming one person, but I just think it's so damning for the entire system.
0: I agree. You know, moving forward, obviously, we need to bring these cases, to, an argument to say why we need to bring this to light, even though it happened so many years ago, is just to Drill home like the severity of it, and then moving forward, how there can really be no tolerance. But Rifke, I mean, I want to ask you going back to what we were talking about before, do you have thoughts on let's say, um, hiring men, or for sure, many of these men were married, but let's say if a school had a policy, we won't hire unmarried men, um, is that fair? Do you would you be on board with that? So it's
1: a hard thing to say. I remember when I was in seminary, there was a rule that the seminary had that they would not hire unmarried men. Mm -hmm. They once accidentally hired a man because they thought he was married. Once they realized they let him go, I think very apologetically, Mm -hmm. you know, they liked him as a teacher. They liked him as a person. He actually got married pretty shortly after that and they rehired him. And I think he's one of their star teachers today. Uh But Uri, I don't know. I mean, to say that Kids should lose out the opportunity. Maybe it's a little bit about an age thing, but that's crazy. I mean, we we both know someone who is a kindergarten teacher. He lives in the Upper West Side. He's part of the larger Modern Orthodox community, and he seems to really care about his students. He seems to really care right. about being a teacher. Cares I think about his he's classroom. He's in a very
0: tough situation because of all these types of stories, and it's really, in a way, it's obviously unfair to him. The question is how should we look at it like is that just a no
1: do we sort of sacrifice his passion and devotion in service of making sure that kids are protected part of what I was actually a little bit disappointed with Ramaz is that they talk about sort of conclusions and things that they're doing going forward and they talk about teacher training but they don't talk about student training and Mm -hmm. sort of talking to kids about the best way to keep kids protected like
0: I'm assuming that happens to some degree but
1: it's a little bit strange though that, that Ramaz is specifically saying you know we're being very clear about our teacher training and Advocacy, but they don't say, mm-hmm. and, you know, and this is what we're doing with with students, which I think is, is right. well, what to look ten out times for more it. critical. Tell students yeah. if a teacher touches you on the knee and calls you pretty, you call the principal and or you call the police, right? Like things like that are not things that mm-hmm. you know are necessarily given, especially with kids. It's it's scary and it's it's strange.
0: Not to go too far off topic, but like kind of we were just we were talking about the person we both know, who's an unmarried man, who's a kindergarten teacher, who, who, from what we can tell, is an excellent you know, teacher and everybody loves him. But, um, you know, h- how does this relate to the way we perceive gender and the differences between the genders? I mean, I think most people who aren't gender studies professors just intuitively understand that there are a lot of inherent differences between men and women. But, you know, you hear more and more people who want to argue that there are no real differences and everything is just a social construct and the society telling us that we're different but we're really exactly the same. And you hear things like that usually in a feminist context and in a context of women not being treated or not getting the opportunities that men get. But yet, in this kind of context... Even those people, just sort of like, everyone sort of agrees that like, yeah, men have to be watched more carefully or the concerns for abuse are much higher when it comes to kids being around men. There does seem to be this universal understanding that men and women are just very different, obviously speaking in general terms, but yet in other contexts, a lot of people won't acknowledge that. I'm just curious, Rifke, how you right. perceive that type of thinking.
1: So I I understand the impulse, especially because the impulse is weighing multiple values. And it, when one of the values is protecting kids, that's often the one that wins, right? right? If you value individual liberty and you say, you know, hypothetically, people should be able to own guns, but people are shooting children in schools, many people are going to say, we're just going to pick kids in schools, you know, right. and, I, and I understand that impulse to want to protect children, right? That being the first priority. But I do generally think that stereotypes like that of saying, okay, because men are more likely to abuse or because men are generally less likely to just want to be around children because they love kids and they want to educate them. Because that is more true about men than about women, we're not going to let men be teachers. Like I think ultimately kids can be losing out have, on like, really – valuable. positive val- role yes. models. Yeah, but listen, I, think I think it's – you're losing really it, yeah. valuable opportunities. I think it's
0: complicated because I, I don't know any particular cases like this, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if there were, let's say, parents choosing where to send their young children to like nursery and kindergarten and they see one option that has all women – and then see another option that has some men teaching i could very much yeah. see them choosing the women and then the schools making hiring decisions yeah. even subconsciously based on those type of things and i yeah. guess it perpetuates
1: that we we know there are people who prefer a male doctor over a female doctor i'm wondering if there if those same people prefer a female nurse right. over a male nurse Or, or a female like uh, kindergarten teacher yeah yeah um and there's something sort of sad about that but i but i you know i guess You know, all we can do is try to have, at least for me, I would say, have more better male teachers with appropriate supervision and counseling over all of the teachers and over anyone who has one-on-one interaction with students at all. Uh, I think that's absolutely critical no matter what. So Uri Tachlis, right? There's a lot here. It's a really sad story. The thing that I walk away with is I'm actually really struck by Rabbi Lukstein, Rabbi Lukstein was, in a lot of ways, the focus of the Forward article, which was about this report. And to a certain extent, it's really unfair. They call Rabbi Lukstein, in the first sentence, the rabbi who married Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump, which is totally unrelated to this. They use a picture that makes it look like he's in this really intense press conference. Right, interrogated. Yeah. That, that picture is from years ago, from when there was a fire at Ramaz right. or at KJ. Do you remember that? Yes. Um, so there's a lot of sort of... Manipulation. Un- yeah, exactly. It, it, I don't like the way that they did that, but... You know, Rabbi Luxtein is an incredibly respected rabbinic authority, and for good reason. There's a lot that he's done that's been good for the Jewish community, good for the the world overall. In the past very many years, he's retired from Ramaz. But the fact that his only public statement since this has come out, since before the report, all of this stuff is when they is when the Forward, you know, got in touch with him to ask him about his about comments, to ask him specific questions, and he said, you know, you could just read the report; it's all right there in the all report. Right. That the only thing he can Say is that he doesn't recall certain meetings. Rabbi Lukstein is a rabbinic leader, and in really difficult, emotional, upsetting situations like this, we look to our rabbinic leaders for moral authority. And at this moment, I kind of want Rabbi Lukstein to walk out and not only say, look, this is what happened, but to also say... I made a mistake, right? There's one line where in the report it says, in retrospect, he could have done things differently. That's not enough, Rabbi Lukstein. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to hear from you. And maybe he's, you know, saving it for some sort of Yom Kippur drusher, right. or maybe he's still thinking about it, or maybe his lawyers have told him not to make a statement. I'm not mm-hmm. sure what it is. But Rabbi Lukstein, as this huge tower and rabbinic figure, I expect more, and I, I think I really need more.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely hear that. And I think, for the most part, I agree with you. I would just say, like you said, it could be forthcoming. It could be that he is considering the Ramaz apology to be his apology right. yeah, also. Yeah, and I, I
1: should know that. That's a good point. In the Ramaz ra- did right. very much. In the Ramaz s- email, you know, yeah. I'll just read it out loud. Uh, Dr. Philip Wilner, who's the chairman of the board, he writes, Most important, we offer our deepest apologies to the victims and their families and openly acknowledge all the ways in which we have erred in cases of abuse. Next week, we'll begin the Aserah Yamei Chuba. The season of repentance asks us to acknowledge our wrongdoings, reflect upon our missteps in judgment, and resolve to being a better person going forward. For Ramaz, the report you are about to read is our collective effort at Chuba. And he goes on from there. I hear what you're saying. We can still demand a stronger reckoning from him about the way right. he was 40 years ago. You're right, that I think it's, it would maybe be unfair for us to demand certain things of him. How could he have done that? How could he have known, you know, things like that? And I, I do think that context is important, but still, I, I think we, we have to be able to expect more, especially from our rabbinic leaders. Teach your children well Their father's help
0: Did slowly go by
1: and that's our show. Thank you all so much for listening. As always, we love to hear from you. Please email us every single week for the past bunch of weeks. We've been getting new emails from Fresh Faces, and it's just really exciting. We love talking to you. Our email is podcast at gmail.com. And, of course, please interact with us on Facebook as well follow us Talking Talkless podcast
0: and thanks so much to Drive-In Productions for sponsoring this week's episode and thank you to Triple Threat Trio featuring Rage Brigade for being the official band of Talking Talkless bye everyone bye bye